0: Hi, this is Tamson Granger.
1: This is Dan Abuhoff. With Tamson and
0: Dan, read the paper. December fifth. Really? That's all? That's the 2021. Fifth? Okay. Episode 251. Yeah, all right, good. That's... We're still here. Yeah, we're still here. Uh, happy birthday to my brother Bryce. It's his birthday to date, oh, December fifth. Great. great.
1: Excellent. Happy birthday.
0: And uh, That's all I got. Okay. All right. So, uh, actually, well, we should say we're winding down on Hanukkah.
1: Yeah, we're winding down on Hanukkah. You know, we're, we're heading towards the holiday season. I was in New York We're in week. the
0: holiday season? I
1: saw the Christmas tree. The tree is up. The Rockefeller. The Rockefeller is up. And, uh, I went by the, uh, Saks windows and it's crammed with people. There's a ton of people cruising the holiday venues in New York. I can tell you that. Oh, really? From firsthand that observation. Was,
0: and that was in, during the week?
1: Yes. That Thursday. Was, that was on a Thursday. The big crowds I saw were about 4 o'clock. Um, you know, you could navigate, but uh, you couldn't get too close to the windows. Okay. So it tells you something, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Coming so, back. Coming, coming back. back.
0: So there was an article. Wait, on- let me just ask you one yeah. thing. Yeah. When you're walking around New York yeah. City. Yes. Do people wear masks on the street? No. Okay. Did you think they would? I I was just curious because uh, there are cautious people, no, and uh,
1: I can't talk for everybody. But you know, it's uh, it's outdoors, and people. And then own.
0: when you go in Penn Station, then you have to wear a mask. Uh,
1: yeah, I was in Port Authority, but uh, Port Authority yeah. in yeah, Port Authority you have to wear a mask. in the yeah, you have to wear yeah. a mask. Okay, All right. not a bad thing anyway. It's not the best smelling place to begin with. It's, it's <laughs> just, there's something to it, but the Port Authority is is empty. I don't know where the people come from. Because I told you the bus service is cut back. Trains are running, but bus service is really cut back. Uh, it's a mix. Hmm. Uh, yeah. But people find their way in. So, uh, All right. So, you know, just in terms of whether, I don't know what you call it, normalcy or what you call it. But you're starting to see articles about movies. The um, end of the year stuff. End of the year movies. That's when the movies generally come in, the big movies, and it's coming in. It's doing it again. And of course, right. we had West Side Story. And, you know, we haven't seen anything yet. But now we're going to have to, like, we adjust ourselves you know think about going to the movies we had we, it's not like we haven't been to any movies but now there's going to be films that are just going to be in theaters and we might think about it and i think we're going to you know i would see my side story wouldn't okay
0: it? sure
1: i mean uh, most of the reviews are positive uh, there's a lot of political stuff i show you may not even see the article i mentioned to you in the times about the uh, you know, uh, a real political discussion about West Side Story. Not even this production, as opposed to the last one, right? Just I mean, whether right. it's too horrible to contemplate. Yeah. Uh, and it's just funny because it put the it put Jesse Green, the progressive New York Times reviewer, in the position of being the old conservative compared to the super progressive other folks on, the, on in the dialogue uh, who were saying things like West Side Story should be dead and buried and should never be produced under any circumstances. And he was going, uh, "No, I don't think I don't, I don't think so." And they were saying like, yes, but it gives a very, uh, it doesn't give a textured view of Puerto Rican life at the time. And he says, I I don't think it's trying to give a textured view of Puerto Rican life at the time. Uh, It's kind of based on Romeo and Juliet. And people say, not everybody knows that. I said, okay. Turn the page. So, in any event, but I think it's worth seeing, right? It's it's got to be. It's a Sondheim uh, musical. Well,
0: don't say that. There have been bad West Side Stories. So, uh, yes, yeah. but
1: yeah, but Spielberg knows what he's doing. Okay. And uh, all right, so we'll go I'm see game. It, But
0: well, I want to see the. What is it? Being the Ricardos? Yes,
1: you. Uh, you keep talking about this. We're going to see it. Being the Ricardos, which is the Aaron Sorkin directed. Or I assume it's written by Aaron Sorkin. Uh, treatment of uh, Ricky Ricardo and Lucille Ball. Okay. Of uh, I Love Lucy, a show you and I both disliked immensely. We're the only two people in America who disliked that show in the 1960s. Um, but I because, did watch it. It a slapstick. I watched it a couple of times. You know, when you're four years old, you don't get to the, the handle the TV set as much as you but should. But
0: most people it. love her. Right, love her. Love love the crazy scenes. That, for, for reasons that still escape me. You know, the me. stomping on the grapes yeah. and, you know, yeah. the chocolate stuffing in the mouth. Is it just, it's fine. You know, I'm sure yeah. I think people still know who Lucille Ball was? Well, the people who read the newspaper and watch TV and go to the movies, yeah. yeah. Well, the, well, old, well,
1: the older people. There are some younger people who may see this. Uh, look, Nicole Kidman is Lucille Ball. Oh, that's interesting. Javier Bardem is, uh, is Desi Arnaz. And, uh, yeah, look, I, I, I'm more interested than anything else because it's Sorkin. And Sorkin is, uh, I'm not saying everything does his goal, but he's a smart guy. And, uh, and you saw an interview with him and you said you, looked,
0: you were interested. Yeah.
1: Okay. We've we'll seen it.
0: It's on the list. Well, it turns out also yeah. that it's possible that uh, Lucille Ball was a very complex person and interesting mm-hmm. uh, to learn about, you know, not just, uh, you know, a clown. Well, complex is often code for a
1: real headache, but
0: we'll see. I'm not. I'm not going out on a date with her, okay. but, you know, complex people can be interesting even right. if you don't want to marry them all right. all or right. have Thanksgiving with them. Uh, all right. Are, yeah. we, are you saying something? No.
1: Belfast, you know, people say nice things about Belfast. Belfast strikes me as, remember we saw Brooklyn a few years ago? Yeah. I think it's that kind of story. You know, it's a story that starts in Ireland and dealing with people, you know, uh, confronting hardship and making a life and that sort of thing. So you know, they say it's a modest movie, but it's worth seeing. Power of the Dog. I, I thought I'd be terribly negative about it. I'm not because I've seen a lot of good reviews. But I you don't just think don't I'm gonna like dogs. It. Yeah, I don't love dogs, but it, I don't think it's about dogs.
0: Yeah, but I, I think it just uh, you know puts you in a bad mood that dog is in the title.
1: Ah, yeah. You know the movie I want to see that you're right. not. You'll never guess in a million years. I'm interested in seeing uh, the tragedy of Macbeth, uh, the treatment of Macbeth, Joel Cohen uh, with Francis McDormand. The and Scottish Washington. play. This, I'm sorry, the Scottish play. And, and the I film have a feeling of the Scottish. I have a feeling, and that I saw uh, the play itself, the Scottish play, a year or so ago. I'm feeling this is going to be real interesting, even though I don't think anyone else has that feeling. Um, and you know, there's t- Denzel Washington, right? I think I anybody like,
0: else, I would know. Uh yeah,
1: Frances McDormand.
0: Oh okay. She
1: plays Lady Macbeth, if you can imagine. She could
0: be a rather grim Lady yeah, Macbeth. Yeah. Well, okay. everyone's in
1: her sixties. She's in her sixties. Denzel's in her sixties. So it's kind of an older Lady Macbeth and you know, yeah. couple. Uh, and of course her husband's the director in his sixties. So you know, it's right up our alley, honey. It's a narrow lane. Really?
0: Uh
1: yeah. Don't look up might be interesting. You know, but but that made a the comedy, big short. Right? It is a comedy, but that could be worth seeing. Political comedy. Cyrano. With Peter Dinklage has getting a lot of good buzz.
0: Well, He's awfully good.
1: Yeah. Oh, and Coda is still around. We never got around to seeing that. Mm-hmm. They say uh, it's worth seeing. All right. So there you go. So, but going to the West Side Story, so that takes us back to uh, Spielberg. And you saw all the um, Spo- tributes. Spielberg? Spielberg. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry. Sondheim. You saw all the homages, all the uh, tributes to uh to Sondheim this week and you know uh, people are always going to say wonderful things about Sondheim I found you know I don't know if it's enough or too much or whatever but uh, I found most of them not interesting which is not a criticism you know people aren't bound to be interesting just to say I thought he was great uh, I, but I think what was mostly uh, not interesting was because they were just asking performers about him mostly and I'll explain why but I don't think that's fascinating what I found more interesting, uh, in terms of an angle, there was an article in the Times today about letters that they saw, that they uncovered or identified or brought to their attention that he wrote to people to encourage them. Mm-hmm. And one of the letters, they show it, it's reproduced. It's a letter to the guys who run the Fiasco Theater. Uh, he saw the production they had of Into the Woods, which we saw. Yeah, and it's just a simple letter, dear Noah and Ben, as you must have gathered last night. I thought your work on the show was inventive and exhilarating to a degree I have seldom experienced in the theater. Thank you. What you and your company do is exactly why people like James and me write. You make me want to write more. Now, how can, can you imagine
0: getting that from some Getting time that time. letter
1: if you're doing something right. like uh, Fiasco Productions, which is you know semi-established but not super-established theater company from a bunch of guys who went to Brown. Uh, and we saw that production, and I, I thought that production was great. Yes. Okay, and uh, you,
0: you went crazy about. It.
1: I, I, I'm an enthusiast. I can't. You help were my
0: stopping t- people on the street to tell them to go see it. What was I? Well, pretty much.
1: I, mean, I, I should have written a letter, though. It would have, you know. Well, anyway, uh, but uh, to me, though, I was thinking, what really sticks me more than anything, this, in terms of. The value, you know, the amazing accomplishments of Sunheim. And it is a production of Into the Woods, but it's not that one. It's the one that we saw, uh, the Music Mountain production.
0: The local.
1: The local production in Lambertville. Right. And I think I've said this to you before, but I'll say it again, though, because I think it's the right time to say it. So that is a local theater production. It's a community theater. Uh, no, it's, it's not a community theater. Regional theater, what do you call yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, I think so.
0: It's well, not, I, somewhere it. in between. One of okay, the people in very, the theater
1: works at the Starbucks Right, shopper, right. Okay? shop
0: that doesn't mean he's not professional oh, okay. okay well okay I don't know what All it right. it's, it's a small 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 thing. listen I think All they're right. great but I, tell me what you're thinking
1: okay, his, his, uh, but just so they give the, the audience a scope of the production it's done in an auditorium it doesn't cost a lot of money to go it's canned music they don't have live anything it's, so it's taped music uh and uh and they put on like 12 shows a year or something like that so they only work on a show three or four weeks uh and they did production of Into the Woods, and I found it extremely moving. And I was saying to myself, that to me is the best proof that that's a brilliant show, or at least a, an excellent right. show. Because if you put it in the hands, so we're not having Order McDonald singing. We're not having Meryl Streep in it, okay? We're having you know a local person do it, and it still plays, mm-hmm. and it still resonates. That's, to me, the great evidence that Sondheim is great.
0: So is that the one that Roundabout is doing?
1: Yes, it is. We're going to see too many of those productions. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then again, if school children come on, it's going to be a disaster. But uh, <laughs> whatever. whatever. What uh,
0: it, but it, but if you're right, if it's uh, brilliant and can withstand yeah. a range the of There is such a thing as seeing something
1: too many times. That's another <laughs> issue. Okay. Uh, well,
0: not, we're not Roundabout subscribers anymore. Uh, yeah. Maybe we won't go.
1: Uh, but we still have to see Carolina change, so that's still on the list. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, enough about that kind of stuff. You were going to talk about something important. You were going to talk about uh, food. Something
0: important? Food. 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 Yeah, yeah food updates. Yeah. I don't know. What do I want to talk about? Well, there's an article in the New York Times Yeah. that both of us noticed. Because you noticed because I noticed because it's a food article. You noticed because it's a legal article. Okay. Sort of. Legal issues as if, about food. As if on am that. Narrow. And uh, yeah. who owns a recipe? Maybe no one does. Mm. Okay. And so it's a, it's a story about uh, people having control over, you know, uh, basically cookbooks they write or um, foods they, you know, devise, mm. uh, etc. And it starts out with this couple who uh, did corn on the cob cupcakes. Hmm. No, 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 They're not made of corn. You line up cupcakes and then decorate them with candies and stuff. So that, you know, you have three or four cupcakes lined up and they're decorated in such a way they look like a corn on the cob. Um, And uh, so, uh, you know, then they they saw their... uh, um, it was in a cookbook. They put it in their cookbook. Then they saw it in a magazine. The magazine didn't credit them, so they were pissed off. And they were told, uh, you know, there's no um, uh, uh, copyright. Yeah,
1: there's no ownership. There's no. They don't have. Uh, they can't protect that. It's not there for right. uh,
0: anything like that. So then there's another story about a, a woman uh, who had written a book about uh, her growing up. Uh, in Singapore Mm -hmm. and uh, the food and recipes for the food. Mm -hmm. And uh, she, this was published, I think, 2008 or something. Then recently there's a new uh, cookbook she's reading by a prominent uh, British um, cookbook author. And uh, it it seems, you know, extremely uh, similar to... The, right. In terms of the recipes, but also in terms of the personal memoirs. Right. Okay. The, the writing itself. Um, so she actually uh, contacts the publisher and uh, the book is withdrawn.
1: Right. Because that is subject to copyright. You know, th- The memoirs. The, the, way, it's, the way something's the written. The writing. The yeah. writing is subject to copyright. It's protected. You can't copy it and claim it as your own. Whereas uh, a recipe itself is out into free domain, open domain.
0: Yeah, but it's still writing.
1: Not necessarily. It's the elements. I'm just giving you the legal distinction. It's okay. the substance of it. Okay, the idea that you need two cups of milk and, uh, you know, a quarter cup of wine vinegar, or whatever it is, that's considered substantive and that's free to share. It's the way you describe it. If you if you, if you do word by word saying, you know, as I curdle the cream, I think of my time. In as Vermont. you curdle
0: the cream? Well, I, I'm, make, I'm the cream here, okay? But my point is that... that Whatever. All right. So anyway, and and so, uh, you know, and then other people, you know, they interview some people like Bonnie Slotnick of Bonnie Slotnick Cookbooks in the East Village of Manhattan. She says, yeah, um, cooking the history of cookbooks is basically just, you know, borrowing and sharing, which some people may call plagiarizing. Uh, But uh, that's what it is. So, you know, it's just, it's a complicated... uh, but, but, Discussion. but when
1: she says the history of cookbooks, she's saying the history of recipes. She's saying the, the, the way people make something is right. A borrowing. Sheet. Right, right, right. And that's an open but, domain. Yeah. Recipe development. Yeah and, sure. uh,
0: yeah, and of course, and there's no, uh, you know, it gets so complicated in uh, art and culture about mm. these concepts of appropriation. Right. And, uh, but... Uh, Recipes are all about appropriation and uh, plagiarism. And legally, the lines
1: are very clear. So, uh, you know, generally speaking, it's out there. So anyway, that that was an interesting article.
0: I read another little um, blurb in terms of, uh, what do we call it? The um, uh, the, uh, shortage of uh, supplies in uh, the U.S., perhaps Mm -hmm. in the world at Mm -hmm. this point. Turns out the latest shortage is... Cream cheese, cream cheese. That's right. And uh, you know all the you know big guys in New York like Zabar's and Barney Greengrass, Grass, et cetera, and so forth, who rely on cream cheese for the bagels they are yes. serving like crazy. Uh, they, you know, they're about to be caught up short. Let me ask you a question. What you know a little bit about food? Can't
1: somebody make cream cheese? Can't you call somebody who's in the dairy business? And say, these guys, was, the these cheese? guys
0: sell hundreds of pounds. They're using hundreds of pounds. No, it's not that easy. You know, it's, if you have an unlimited supply of milk, you should be able to make cream cheese. It, you know, you can't turn a corner and do that. You know, that's uh, right. you can make cream cheese. I I actually saw a recipe. Yeah, it was like a year or two ago. Right, and I made it, and it wasn't a very good version. Right, this um, is my first time, and I haven't gone back to it. Right. You know, um, so I would say it's you know it's. It's not impossible, mm-hmm. but it's just uh, you know they use a lot of that would be a lot of all right that would well, be look, a lot of maybe cream it'll cheese. turn
1: people on the farmer. But cheese. you
0: yourself went to the grocery store and there was no whipped cream cheese. I understand. I, yeah. I, I was shocked. So even you know ourselves we're having to whip our own cream cheese yes. and and all these guys use Philadelphia and yes. they actually use a product that's not exactly. Um, what we eat yeah because in many cases it's the basis for their um scallion cream cheese Mm -hmm. and the you know the salmon cream cheese and so on and so forth but anyway so uh you know keep your eye on that if you're building your holiday meals around Around cream cream cheese, cheese yes and, you know, the, the, well, the cheesecake guys are going crazy, too. Yes, right. Because they're, you know, you got to make cheesecake. You need cream cheesecake, cheese for that, yeah. um, So there's that. And then um, you pointed out to me that um, Substack, which is, how, how would you describe it? A subscription service for mm-hmm. writers mm-hmm. Uh, of newsletters. Right. Uh, has... Um, added Ruth Reichel Mm -hmm. to their um, offerings. Right, and we like Ruth Reichel. Yeah, I mean, she's she's a very interesting writer, a fun, interesting writer. I love food writing. I love travel writing and food writing. Um, And so I would be excited to... uh, um, You know, I haven't ever considered this. There is... It's a subscription service, mm-hmm. and you pay individually. You pay per newsletter. It's not yeah. like you sign up to to Substack and you get everything. You have to sign up with Ruth, and uh, so you know maybe um, I don't know, not impossible. But uh, anything else interesting about that? Uh, no, yeah, you know, um, we everybody knows Ruth Reichel, former editor of. Gourmet and restaurant critic etc she would uh, she would be fun All right to, to well maybe
1: you should maybe you should sign up for
0: it yeah I'm just slow to uh, get yeah. on to all this uh, digital stuff
1: You're not that not, not many people get those kind of things
0: but uh, we probably well, that is work true with... you know you look at the podcasts and they have thousands yeah. tens of thousands of subscribers you look at these um, newsletters it's yeah. hundreds yeah, so yeah. Uh, you know they're coming along but the big ones make a ton of money. Really, um, yeah. well, there's very little cost, yeah. I mean, there are millions of dollars yeah. that some people right. make by doing these newsletters. Okay. All right,
1: so here's what's really going on that we're all concerned about more than anything else, and that's the baseball lockout. The baseball lockout, Tim, you were saying to yourself, Lockout, there's no season, the season's over, the World Series is done. Lockout, what could they be talking about? And what they're talking about is, I'm reading your mind, right? What they're right. talking about is that the uh, there's a commercial, I'm sorry, there's a collective bargaining agreement that the owners. Major league owners have on the one hand, uh, with the Players Association on the other hand. And it sort of sets up the rules under which free agency works and, and that sort of thing uh, okay. operates. And that. And there's a disagreement? No, the agreement expired. It expired? Yes, the collective agreement expires. So they're having to negotiate years. a new one? They have to, unless they agree to extend. They don't mm-hmm. agree to extend. And so, in a preemptive way, the owners say, look, we're not going to let this traipse along without rules. Uh, we're locked down uh, until uh, the two of us get together and hammer out a new agreement. Well, lockdown doesn't mean much when the season's over. Uh, it means something. It means you can't use the training facilities of the Yankees in Florida or something like that if you're an mm-hmm. injured pitcher. But it doesn't mean too terribly much, except uh, there's going to be a lack of dealings between individual teams and individual players. You won't see free agent signings during the lockdown. But, what is, but no one's going to miss a paycheck, which is the main thing. Okay. So there's no pressure. Oh, that's a relief. Okay. <laughs> there you go. So, but what are they arguing? Is there a principle here? And the answer is no. Okay. okay. All they're arguing about is money. And money in the form of uh, how players get paid. And, of course, that's usually about what, what level of free agency is there. Because it's like free lunch. There's no such thing as free agency. People love to say that there's free agency in the major leagues. Well, there isn't. There isn't.
0: That's a disappointment. There's
1: a free agency for people who've been in the league six, seven, or eight years. But there are rules that restrict the movement of players who are in their first five or six years. And uh, that's the kind of thing that uh, the players are complaining about. They want to adjust those rules because they say the player, you know, the MLB owners have wised up. They're relying increasingly on these younger players who they're not paying too much. And uh, therefore, they're escaping the consequences of the free agency, which applies to the older players. That's an overstatement, but that's what the Players Association says. What's interesting is that you always need some construct because nobody, no group of owners is willing to accept complete free agencies. What you have in football, for example, is you have a salary cap. Mm -hmm. You don't have a salary cap in baseball. So they're doing it a different way. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's just, you know, the the owners are saying, look, uh, we're looking for a different deal because we're worried about the owners who don't make money the poor owners in the cities like Pittsburgh. The Players Association says, well, we're worried about the young players who don't make money. Uh, they're all worried about the young people. But the right. truth is, yeah. they, right. could, yeah. they could reconfigure what they wanted to do. So it's all about nothing. And what further complicates it is that the value of the teams isn't really based on their revenue so much. Yeah. So they talk about revenue sharing, but there was an article uh, that ran in the Times a week or 10 days ago. The headline is, Why Knicks and Lakers are worth billions, win or lose. They're each estimated to be, each of those basketball teams to be worth $5 billion. They're both having terrible seasons. And it says in the article, it doesn't make any difference if they win or lose. Okay. They're still going to be worth that amount. All right. Why? There are two reasons. Uh, But, you know, one is that, um, you know, they sell a lot of tickets in advance. Two is that they rely on cable contracts. But the main reason is that it's the value of the team that matters, not the annual revenue. And the value of the team is based Unlike the value of a painting, see, I'm now I'm drawing you in. The value, in other words, it's a rare thing. How many how many NBA franchises are there in total? How many franchises in the Northeast? How many franchises in New York? Well, mm-hmm. one, right? Two, maybe if you count Brooklyn as part of New York. But uh, even so, it's a rare gem. So if you have a billionaire who wants to play in that league, who wants to swim in that fish ball, you know, it's he's got to have it. So it's called the the next greatest fool theory of team ownership what will the next greatest fool pay in other words in 2014 the clippers were valued Los Angeles Clippers were valued at 575 million dollars right a few okay. months later it was bought by Steve Ballmer who's the second in command at Microsoft All right? right what did he pay 2 billion 2 okay. billion right
0: versus
1: 575 million he wanted a team in Los Angeles yeah nothing to do with any numbers yeah he paid what he needs to get
0: so and his father let him do that? Uh, I don't think Steve. So. I, I mean, so. he, he doesn't have somebody over his shoulder saying, "No, that's way too much. You can't pay that." Yeah, they don't mention his father. You know, they, they said, <laughs> "Did you go? Did you go on the service that rates these things? It's only worth five hundred and seventy-five million. You're, you're you're offering them two billion. Are you out of your mind, son?"
1: Uh, well, some people did say that. I don't remember his father being quoted. But you know something? What? When it comes time to, to sell it, he'll get more than two billion.
0: It's, the world is is hard to conjure sometimes. But if you know all this? Yeah. How come we, like, don't buy I mean, things and sell things for trillions? dollars? Our time will come, Tim. So really?
1: Just, just, just hang, really? Stay, stay
0: with me. I think we're always the fool, not the... No, no, no. We're yeah. never the fool because we don't oh, buy. But, well, uh, no, that's true.
1: <laughs> so you know that. Okay, I, I, I've taken enough of your time. Move, move on. You made
0: your no, point. I just, uh, you know, um, I've been, well, I was... Uh, Read a couple articles about, um, you know, about politics. Yes. Oddly enough, I rarely read about politics. Yeah. Uh, But uh, there were two articles that caught my eye because they were so similar to TV shows we've been watching. Art imitating life imitating art. Well, I just... Uh, you know, we're a little behind the curve, I guess, in, in world events. No, we're on top of it. We're on no, top as of well. it. Well, uh, for instance... This is okay, happening uh, in real time. Exactly, right. In real time. Yeah. Uh, the... Um, is, is she a prime minister of Sweden? Yeah. Okay, Magdalena Andersson. Yeah. First female prime minister in Sweden. Right. Um, lost her... Uh, was Lost her position. Right. So okay. she, was, she became prime minister, first prime minister of Sweden... In a week, she was out. Right. A because week. of a budget thing. They didn't yeah. approve her so budget thing. So you might
1: say to yourself, how could this happen? But we know what could happen because you've
0: seen it on television. Yes, we watch the show Borgen. Right. All right. Denmark. Which is a Danish show. Right. It's, uh, it's the about, same thing uh, Sweden, Denmark. Bor- yeah, Borgen really refers to uh, the building that Parliament and oh, the Supreme right. Court yeah, and yeah. everything okay. is in the yeah. castle. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just kind of a catch all for government. And uh, anyway, so that main character was a female prime minister. And she's always about to lose her job. Why?
1: Because like, of the budget problems, which yes, is what this woman yes, had. She had. Budget yes, problems.
0: Yes, and she's always hanging by a thread. And somehow she gets back. And this happened too. Magdalena Anderson uh, was voted out. And then she got uh, the voted same, back
1: in. It's the same thing. Is that, the woman's trying to she keep a coalition enough together. enough support. But, but if you read the article, she's, she's got a, f- a minority... And she was only governed by virtue of a of a coalition of a combination of the different parties. It's just like the woman in Borgen. It's exactly maybe the same. they're
0: just using the script as a way to. Uh, <laughs> she even run looks a little bit country. like her. It's bizarre. I'm yeah. not a lot like yeah. her. Yeah, a little bit. She's about the same age. Um. So, so we recommend Sweden and we recommend Borgen. Right. Um. I recommend Borgen more, but uh, yeah. There
1: you go. Well, Sweden is described as a country that's very good for women.
0: Yes, and it mentions that one of the Sweden ranked at the top of a survey by U.S. News and World Report. Then you know they'll tell you what college is the best, so they must know about what country is the best. Best for women and the best countries. It's one of the best countries for women. But wait a minute. And it's fifth, Sweden is fifth in a recent survey of gender equal countries uh, done by World Economic Forum as opposed to Australia, which has sunk from 15th to 50th. Yeah, okay. in a survey of gender equal countries, yeah. who, who, okay? who reads these things?
1: I mean, who reads these surveys? I don't know, but but I get your point. I get your segue. Anyway, so that's Here's a good. Segue.
0: Well, there. So um, the other article I was reading yeah. was about was this is the title of it: "Like Fresh Meat," detailing rampant sex harassment yeah. in Australia's Parliament. Now, you know, I'm not too into Australia. Normally, I wouldn't uh, focus on this, except that we have been watching a television show called Rake. Called Rake that actually is all about the fifth season is all about rampant sexual harassment uh, sexism generally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in, us, in the Australian... Frat boy culture. In Uh-oh. the Australian Parliament. Right. Okay. And I stopped watching it. To be to be honest, I stopped watching it because I just found it uh, intolerable. But you also found it unbelievable. Uh, un- completely unbelievable. And they're saying it's okay. true. Yeah. And, the, and uh, so... But what's interesting is that show... Yeah. Okay. Called Rake, starring Richard Roxburgh, who I know you love, um debuted or whatever in 2010. Yeah. So this is extremely old news. Oh, wait a second.
1: But I think the most recent seasons that, that you're thinking is, about... Is more recent. That's, that's true. Or that's true. Yeah. But there's still
0: all this yeah. bad right. behavior. Right. I mean, it was... Uh, uh, yeah, You're tr- that's right. In th- 2010, he's playing a brilliant but self-destructive right. Sydney Barrister. Right. Okay, by the time we get to uh, the fifth season he's a member of parliament right. largely by accident right. um and uh so you know uh it, I, it, I mean it's just really funny we're learning about the world mm-hmm. through the magic of netflix <laughs> <laughs> oh, and uh connects. you know there was one other thing i wanted yeah. to mention there um but i don't know what it was, what it is right, it. so we will come to so anyway oh yeah i was just going to say that um, along with all these lists these end of the year lists like, like what was good this year yeah. uh, one of the shows that came up in terms of internet international so called tv shows mm-hmm. call my agent oh okay. they mentioned was, call my agent no, everyone was, loves call a good my show. agent yeah. and that that takes place in france and that's the way uh france is and that's the way Francis. So, so now we have these very um, sort of narrow uh, fantasy views of all these. Cultures. Now we know.
1: Now we know. Now we're experts. Now you know. That's another Sondheim song. Now you know. So e-bikes. All right. Now, what is there more to be said about e-bikes? It's almost boring to think about it. But they has a more an article about people looking at e-bikes as a this is transportation and as an alternative to cars, which I didn't think was a serious idea. But the Times is not Well, you've
0: been railing, railing for weeks about the um, infrastructure bill yeah. that gives some kind of tax. benefits, yeah, tax.
1: It, it gives a, a, a tax deduction for people who buy e bikes. At and least you, as, as you, now drafted.
0: You keep saying that's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. That's ridiculous. <laughs> because it, it can only make
1: sense. It doesn't make sense to say, you know, it's like any other consumer good. People buy it or don't. You don't need the government to get their hands involved in that. Unless you have this idea that it's going to reduce emissions in some serious way, which means you're saying it's going to displace cars. And I'm saying e-bikes aren't going to displace cars. Well, this article says they kind of do, or they kind of might. And I'm saying to myself, what? And here's what they're saying. They're saying that e-bike sales are up tremendously. And uh, I I, I won't bore you with the numbers. It's 145% or something like that. But here's the only number that means something to me. That... uh, In 2020, Americans uh, purchased uh, half a million e-bikes, okay? That compares with 230,000 all-electric cars. Really? Yeah. Twice as many e-bikes were sold as all-electric cars. Hmm. And yet we all hear about all these all-electric cars. Is there the answer? And that's going to be how we're going to save all this on gas you know, save the environment, blah, blah, blah. And then they back it up with people saying, I look at this as a mode of transportation. Most, most the trips people take aren't that long. They could be on an e-bike rather than a car. Now, then I will say the article shifts to a focus on New York City, which is more likely to lend itself to shorter trips. Uh, And they say more, many trips are three miles or less. And people, uh, and then they have that, you know, details about the kind of e-bikes you can buy. But people are going on and on about saying, "Hey, I, you know, I'm really it's fun again on e bike." So they're not thinking themselves, you know, my, how much exercise am I getting versus the exercise on a bicycle?" It's a different way of thinking.
0: They're saying, "I'm but, on the e bike." But e-bike. you know what's interesting? E yeah. bikes are sort of hybrids, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Because you, some of it is manpower, right? And some of it is electrical, right? So it's not like uh, you know. You're... Well,
1: the, here's here's the thing. The, the and, and they have them in city bike now. And they have an electric blue pedal assist bike. They make up 20% of the fleet but carry 35% of all rides. People prefer the e bikes.
0: Right. Well, where did I read that it's getting hard to park your yes. share bikes right. now? Because yesterday, they're getting more and yesterday. more popular. Yes,
1: that's going to go in and out because they have to somehow monitor uses and put the places in the right places, put the parking spaces. So they're always going to be. Well, you a saw what it
0: was like, uh, how crazy it was in Amsterdam. Yeah, that's, that's it, what they with, want to avoid. With, with you know, people. It's not bike sharing. It's just bikes are yeah, it's everywhere. Of course, these piles in of China, bikes. Yeah, and
1: yeah. you need enough places to put the bikes. But uh, that's just something that you can. That's something you can solve if you yeah. have enough places to put the bikes. But uh, they are. We're are emphasizing here the bikes that really rely a fair bit on on power and getting up to as much. as So it's great miles about the e-bikes, all yeah. right. Yeah,
0: but they still need e-bike service. Well, uh, yeah, you know, so they have some. That's working. one of the problems. Are we run you know, into that. It, that uh, it's still in its infancy. It's hard to get your e-bike fixed. Right. All right. With, and you have to get it. You have to be relatively close to the place work. to get it fixed. Wow. Because, you know, for a variety of reasons. But one is the e-bikes are so damn heavy. Yeah. You know, that you can't use a regular bike rack to transport them. Right, right, right. And uh, so there, there are still well, That's why the focus, logistical the focus here is on
1: City Bike. Uh, so people using City Bike. But even so, the question is, can the City Bike people maintain the e-bikes in the, in the system? And yeah. that, that's not well, the subject of the article.
0: Well, they can find a way to do that. But maybe, they can, uh, maybe they If can. you're talking about more they people break a lot, individually owning in, e-bikes, in, yeah. there, there have to be yeah. some...
1: Anyway, it caused me to look at it a different way. Maybe there's something to it. Okay. All right. Finally, we have one obituary. That one
0: obituary uh, about the Leonardo da Vinci of wedding cakes, Seriously? Sylvia Weinstock. The
1: Leonardo da Vinci of wedding
0: cakes. And uh, she passed like away that. at the age of 91. Yeah. She retired just a few years ago in 2016 to uh, care for her husband who became ill. Mm-hmm. And uh, even in retirement, she was working up a storm. So, um, you know... Hats off to her for uh, cranking out the cakes uh, all these years. Uh, she was uh, born uh, in the Bronx, grew up in Brooklyn, and uh, she doesn't start baking cakes till she's in her 50s. She was a school teacher. Yeah, uh, They lived upstate, and I think they—no, um, they didn't live upstate. They had— um, He lived on Long Island and uh, had a place uh, near Hunter Mountain. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, she started doing some baking. She got acquainted with uh, people in the area. She Mm -hmm. got an internship, uh, worked as an apprentice for George Keller of La Caravelle. Uh, She made friends with William Greenberg. You've heard of William Greenberg Bakeries in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And uh, she gets friendly with him actually and he recommends that she learn how to do um cake decorating mm-hmm. the sugar flowers and so on. Um he he doesn't offer that. Right. And uh, she does. She becomes uh, an expert and uh she gets jobs from him. Mm-hmm. Uh they um so you know uh she she and her husband move into Manhattan because she is diagnosed with breast cancer, and she wants to be near her doctors and her treatments in Manhattan. So they move to Manhattan, and next thing you know, I mean, she's recovered. They uh, buy a place, buy a lot, basically, in Tribeca, build a building with the um, cake baking it downstairs. Uh, they live upstairs. Mm-hmm. Um, just like the old days, uh, I guess, um, her father was uh, had a bakery. And um and they lived above the uh, bakery. And, uh, you know, uh, she uh, really made these amazing cakes. Well,
1: there's this they're, they're, they're they're super elaborate cake. Super it's elaborate, just overflowing. Highly detailed flowers, petal by petal.
0: Amazing that uh, you see the pictures, there's no way you would think that they are sugar. You know, mm. they look. Like real flowers, and uh, some of them as tall as fifteen feet tall. They've been flown all over the world. She made one for a Saudi prince, or you know, billionaire, or whatever, was fl- flown there in the private jet. Sometimes she and her husband uh, flew the cakes across, you know, to wherever they were going. They would get a um, a seat for the cake and uh, escort it. Yeah, I think they, the she does it for Republican
1: so, leaders, for Democratic leaders. I think one's for Trump or something like that. Right. Uh, and, and they cost like... The uh, Clintons
0: have ordered from her. The yeah. Trumps have ordered from right. her. And yeah. it's like,
1: it's like 5000 or 15000 It's like a zillion dollars. for this.
0: Oh, That's no, no, no. $50,000. 50000 That's okay. right. That was the Sophia She did America, a, Yeah. yeah. The, she did a five-tier cake with thousands of sugar flowers For $50,000. And... Well, that's the estimate that's in the paper. So, um, so anyway, 50, she, there's also a cute story from her um, how she met her husband. Yeah. She was at Rockaway Beach and she was 17. And she just walked up to a group of boys and said, Who wants to go swimming with me? And uh, Benjamin Weinstock stepped up. <laughs> and uh, so uh, when she and her husband got married, they had a very simple, small wedding, like twenty people, mm. and uh, just a little honey cake mm-hmm. uh, for their wedding. And so, you know, people will ask her, "Well, you know, wouldn't you like to reaffirm your vows and and have you know a fabulous wedding and fabulous cake?" Uh, and uh, she said, "No, no, 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 no. Uh, I got away with the best guy in the world. I'm happy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, it, it, just uh, kind of a nice story." Yeah. It's kind of amazing stuff. And she also says that uh, she gets to know the um bride and groom a little while she's oh, know, yeah. designing the yeah, yeah. cake. It, it, it and, feels like she so knows too well. And almost. uh yeah. you know, she says you know, a surprising number of times she's telling she's ready to tell the guy he should run. <laughs> but I you know, I'm sure every you know, people turn into a bri- bridezilla. Yeah. Even if they're not uh well, Please, hopefully you know, she doesn't, toxic.
1: doesn't indulge herself doesn't doesn't do that. No, I, probably not. I'm sure she didn't. Well, she'd lose she lose the business. She
0: wouldn't have a you know this amazing business. But um, she found uh, her calling, and she followed it right into the 90s. I mean, that's that's great. That's a great story.
1: All right, so uh, that's it this week. And uh, we'll
0: yeah, see. Yeah, we're if... still playing with the babbies and stuff. Oh, but, God. Uh, yes. Yes. We're, yeah.
1: We're serious grandparenting. Uh, we're trying to retain our edge, And uh, we'll see you uh, next week. This is Dan Abuhop. And Tamsin Granger with,
0: what is it, Tamsin and Dan, Dan reading the paper? we will get it eventually. We'll right. we right. get the
1: 350. I'll have
0: it. <laughs> Bye-bye.